Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world and today I'm staying in the UK. Uh, I'm, I'm my guest today. Uh, I asked him, I said, so what's your title in your, in your organization? He said, well, I don't really have a title, but I sort of do this. We're going to get, I'm intrigued by that. So we're going to be talking to Charles Tinknell from Wilmot Dixon Interiors. But I came across Charles on LinkedIn and uh, some of the things that he talks about on LinkedIn, I really want to hone in on one of them because uh, I understand he had a viral post. I have read it, actually. It's a really good post on quiet quitting. Now, you know that quiet quitting, if you follow me on uh, uh, on uh, LinkedIn or any social media, or you've been on any one of my programs, you'll know that I talk about quiet quitting an awful lot. What is it? What does it do? Why is it painful and to our organization? And what can we do as leaders to overcome quiet quitting? So Charles, quiet quitting expert for this podcast, <laughs> holding his head in his hands. Welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. Thank you very much for having me, Colin. I'm honestly delighted to be here. And um, yeah, I'm not so sure I'm delighted to be talking about quiet quitting, but it is a hugely <laughs> important subject. It is a and very, very important it, it, area. It's very close to my heart because uh, I'm a person that is all around creativity and quiet quitting is just an absolute disaster for creativity. I mean, yeah. very few people have in their job performance criteria be creative. And uh, it's something that you have to put discretionary effort into. So if you're in the position of quiet quitting in your role, you know, one of the very first things to go is creativity, which I think is such a sad state of affairs which is why I'm kind of on a mission to try and help people not have quiet quitters within their organisation or even worse, be a quiet quitter yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about creativity. Uh, I think creativity is something that every single organisation really needs to have in abundance right now because we're moving in this, we're living in this world that is so constantly um reshaping itself almost all the time you know we talk about the VUCA world the volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous world but this world at the moment is the rate of change is accelerating I think you know things happen so quickly and it sort of just changes the paradigm for us and the environment in which we operate and if you're not creative and innovative as an organization as a people as a group of people then you're going to struggle to survive in, in, in that environment. And for me, it's we have to move beyond survival into thriving. And when you're thriving, then you are operating from this place of creativity, agility, adaptability, and maybe even driving some of the change uh, that is needed. But we're going to come on to that a bit later. I want to first and foremost 
get down to who is Charles Tinknell. So I asked you just before the podcast started, Charles, can you just give me a title? And and you blew me away with your answer. So, Charles, why is it that you don't seem to have a title, but you work in a very senior position in your organisation? Tell me about your journey. Well, um, my journey. Um, well, I had a delightful childhood. And um, I, I had a lovely, lovely childhood and I grew up, lived down an unmade road and uh, there's big wood at the end of, end of our house. And I, I grew up in the wood and I'm oh, a naturally wow. kind of curious person. Um, and that kind of curiosity has helped me in good stead right throughout my life and has kind of driven the things that I've done and the way that I've done things. Um, I... Joined the construction industry, um, really, because I, I, well, actually, you asked me to go back to the beginning. Going back to the beginning was, you know, I, I used to watch the Friday Western on telly every night, it was on in the 70s, and the guy that I aspired to be was the guy in the river panning for gold. Because right. uh, he'd find the nugget of gold and then he'd be the wealthiest man in town. Yeah, and I went right. all the yeah. way through from being eight or nine uh, to doing a geology degree, but when I actually graduated from uh, university, there were no jobs. Uh, oil was down to $15 a barrel, but uh, my sister worked as a headhunter and she said construction booming. And uh, so I went to work in uh, construction. Uh, I'm not a constructor. I'm not particularly practical person, but I am quite creative. So I kind of found and made my niche by really coming up with better ideas than anybody else. And when I contribute, I seem to have a different skill set or mindset to many of my colleagues. So I come up with different ideas that people tended to like. So what you're saying, what you were saying early on is that uh, that is what, that is sort of what your role is. You are the person that brings the ideas to the table and you, that creativity is what you bring to the organisation. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes from how I said, you know, it does come back from your childhood about having high levels of, you know, self-belief, being self-confident Believing in yourself, believing that you can outthink any problem that, that you face. And you now I see it as a leader, when you do get to talk to most people in most organisations, you come down to a conversation around self-confidence and self-belief and self-esteem. Oh, goodness, this is so true. I've just literally been having a conversation about this this morning. We're talking about a senior leader in an organisation who is making all sorts of decisions, recently just taken on this role, very senior. And I said, before we start criticising, let's try to understand where he's coming from. And it all comes down to issues around self-confidence. This, uh, this desire to feel that you need to be seen to be making a contribution. But we're all living at some level or another with imposter syndrome, right? And it's this constant battle that we have inside our brain. So, yeah, I think this, this human element is always going to be there. I think you're right about imposter syndrome. I've, it, it's something I've never really suffered from. And I kind mm, of got slightly that. worried about this. Am I missing something here? <laughs> Am I not pushing myself? You've got imposter syndrome about not having imposter syndrome. <laughs> kind of, have, I, uh, have I not pushed myself far enough to be, feel like I'm an imposter? 
But, you know, I, I, I to, to a certain extent, I feel a bit of an imposter working for a construction company for the last 20 years, not <laughs> yes. being a constructor. So, you know, you, you've got to find another little yeah. niche to, to add, add, add uh, a value into. But going back to this issue about, you know, self-reliance and self-belief, uh, mm. it, it does link to quiet quitting as well. And it does... You know, I think when you're quiet quitting, you're, it, it's a self-sabotage. It, it, yeah. it, you're allowing yourself to stay into a zone that isn't pushing you to where you, you need to get to. I'm sure it is all linked to imposter syndrome, to self-belief, to, you know, actually wanting to be your very best self. Yeah, no, I get it. But let's just talk about what what is quite, you know, many people will have heard the phrase quiet quitting but what do you see quite quitting as? You know, if we had to define it for, for our listeners, what would it be for you? For me, it is not that you're not doing your job. You you might be actually doing your job very well. You might, yes. you know, you could take your job performance criteria or your job spec and you look at your objectives and your measures and you might well be achieving all of them to the desired standard. But having said that, you know, there's more to going to work than just fulfilling your job role. Uh, yeah. You know, you want to be happy at work. Yeah. And to me, if you're quite quitting for happiness, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. I don't want to work with anywhere where I'm not happy. And, you know, I want the people around me to be happy as well. So part yeah. of my role as a leader is to make sure people are happy and fulfilled and doing the very best they can. And that is not something that normally is contained within a, a job spec. So I think quiet quitting has nothing to do with not doing your job. It's about how you do it and how it makes you feel and how you can extend yourself and grow as a person. That's right. I mean, I always see quiet quitting as uh, you're doing your job to the bare minimum. You're doing it so that nobody can criticise you and say you've not done your job. You're actually doing your job, but you're not doing it to your fullest of potential. You're not going to the deepest reaches of your your ability. And in order for you to get there, you need to be inspired, right? Uh, so one of the causes of quiet quitting for me is when you're not happy with your environment, where you're working, uh, the culture or the environment that's around you, um, you tend to get switched off to, you know what, I'm going to go further. I genuinely believe that, most people turn up to work, most people turn up to work and they want to do a very, very good job. Genuinely believe that. But then things happen that switch them off. So let's talk about what is it that switches people off to cre create these quiet quitters in our organisations? There are multiple issues there. To me, there's a couple of really key critical ones. One is life is all about the choices you make. You know, everybody in the organisation, to a certain extent, will be subject to the same culture. But it's how you yeah. choose, how what you choose to do about it. So you might have a difficult boss. You might do a job that isn't that fulfilling. But you then have choices to make. You either you bring things into your job role that you're passionate about and you find your own passion. Mm -hmm. Or you work on, you know, managing up the line just as well as down the line. You expand your job and take it as far as it'll possibly go within the bounds of the job to, to find fulfillment and uh, find your own, own space. 
But when you start to go within yourself and start to get passivity, that's got to be a big alarm bell to you, the, you're self-sabotaging yourself. So I think it's about the choices you make because, mm-hmm. you know, life isn't a bed of roses. It's how you deal with it. It's the choices you make from those difficult situations and how you think, well, how do I manage my boss better? How do I bring things into my work life that I'm passionate about, that I'm really enthusiastic about? Can I join that task group that I'm passionate about and bring that into my work life? Because there'll always be things going on in most organisations that you can get involved in to improve the organisation. And if they're not, well, why don't you suggest it? Why don't you do it? Mm. And say, I would like, you know, I do this and I do it well, but I think I could do it a lot better. Could I get a group together to discuss it, to, to grow it? Most leaders, most of the time, if you're looking to improve how the organisation works, choose something you're passionate about, we'll let you do it. And then you find the things and you bring into your working life the things that get you out of that quiet quitting stage that you're in and give you fulfilment and enthusiasm. And slowly but surely, it'll pervade everything. I like that. So what you're saying in essence is that, uh, you know, if you are in a situation where you are unhappy, with uh, where you're at, maybe unhappy with your boss, your team, your culture, maybe even your job, uh, that there are some things that you can take responsibility for. You can take personal responsibility for trying to improve your environment, your opportunities. You You have that level of ability to look beyond where you're going now and what you're doing to maybe take on extra work, extra projects, or or, or simply get involved in something that inspires or, 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 or motivates you from within your organisation or sometimes from outside of your organisation. That's all very well and good uh, for the individual who is, you know, driven to feel that they, 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 they can't work to their fullest potential because they just, they've switched off now. There are other reasons uh, that people switch off and, you know, many people would be talking about the culture, the, 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 the boss maybe that they're working for or the environment in which they're operating. So as an organisation, what can we do to prevent people from getting to that, you know, really dark place where they just think, you know what, I'm just going to turn up to work, I'm going to do the bare minimum and go home, which is a very sad place to be, let's be honest. So what can an organisation do? Well, I think it's about probably having proper conversations with people. Uh, it, it's having kind of deep and meaningful conversations rather than just um, task and function conversations. Yeah. When you have one-to-ones, you talk about you know, how you feel about things, what, what infuses you, what grinds your gears, what disappoints you. And, you know, I've had conversations about with with the people that work for me about about what they like about me and what they dislike about me where I excel when I you know if I've let them down and Mm. um once you start to have proper conversations with people these things all start to come out I think it takes a lot of courage to have those conversations don't you think I mean like I know a lot of leaders who literally would not ask people, well, what do you think of me? You know, give, give me some feedback. Or if they did say, give me some feedback, they'd be saying, give me some feedback, but make sure it's feedback that I like. <laughs> uh, and I've met those kind of leaders. So so actually to have those conversations, and you're right, I, I absolutely agree with you, Charles, that it's all about those 
quality conversations. But if you can have those quality conversations, it actually takes a, actually takes a lot of courage as a leader to have those conversations, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And it's all too easy to talk about projects or tasks one-to-one and how you're getting on with the project, how you're getting on with the task. But uh, having the, how do you feel about the business, the culture of the organisation, how you can better thrive, you know, how do you raise your potential? Quite often, mm. it, it, it is a very different and very enlightening conversation. You know, time flies. You, you suddenly realise you've been talking for an hour. But they're the ones that build trust between, you know, yourself as a leader and the people that you're leading. And, you know, if you've got trust in place, then, you know, most of these problems can be sorted out. And mm. uh, you can – I've always had a, a rule of thumb that I, I've, you know, m- people that work for me are, are capable and competent. I like to think that they've grown to the position where they can – do their job well better than I can as their as their their leader, and then I say to them, you know, proceed until apprehended, mm. move and grow as much as you can, and if you start going outside those bounds, we'll have conversations, but it'll come from a, a place of you know care and concern and a, uh, you know a, a, a place of love that you know you want to make sure mm. that actually. You're not tripping yourself up or getting yourself into difficulties because you you pushed too far. But I can guarantee people have to push an awful long way beyond where they are before it becomes a problem because people self-regulate. And that's where it comes back to self-confidence, self-belief, where a lot of people do hold themselves back into a place of safety. And then we're back to the conversation about imposter syndrome, don't we, you know, getting people to believe they're capable and competent, if they've done a role and they've fulfilled it for two or three years, they are an expert in that role. They just have to believe it. There's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I mean, I get called into a lot of organisations. I've created programmes where, you know, there's a frustration from within the organisation that people uh, aren't aspiring, aren't aren't inspired to aspire in the organisation, despite the fact that the organisation itself thinks, do you know what, they're good enough. Uh, So... I've taken them on this journey with this program to firstly develop new skills, but also then to hold a mirror up to themselves to see how good they actually are. And I think you're right. I think imposter syndrome plays a bigger part than we give it credit for with the most people in organized. It's just a human trait. It's not, it's not a weakness. It just is. And for those people who don't have imposter syndrome, like yourself, I think you're, you're so lucky not to have it because most people do have it to some degree or another. So it's overcoming that. How do we help them to overcome that? Uh, I love what you're talking about, you know, um, proceed until apprehended. Uh, it's just, you know, as a saying, you, you really have to think it through. But what it means is just keep going, keep fulfilling, keep growing, uh, keep expanding yourself until somebody tells you to stop. And I just love that. I suppose the ultimate thing when you're told when to stop is when you get the promotion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? 
But then, you know, Simon Sinek, who's one of my heroes uh, when it comes to leadership, he will talk about the, the finite mindset versus the infinite mindset. And he says, you know, the finite mindset is, the, is a mindset that's always looking at that winning post. So the winning post could be that promotion. He says, but the infinite mindset is always thinking about how do I continue to grow? How do I be better? How do I be? So even when you get that promotion, you're still thinking, okay, now how can I improve? How can I improve? So I've always sort of um, been of that frame of mind. You know, a promotion is great. It's a milestone. I always see a promotion or a, a piece of success as a milestone. I always say, so what's next? How can I keep growing? How can I keep growing? So I have this like thing where I say to myself, I need to grow every single day. I need to learn something new, have a fresh conversation, read something new every single day. Uh, because then I feel fulfilled. What you said about Simon Sinek and the growth mindset is, is so true. And when it, that we link the conversation back to quiet quitting, it's usually not a growth mindset. It's not a learning no. mindset. And learning is just so, you know, with curiosity, it's just so important. And if you don't have that habit as part of your makeup, make it, practice it, make it a habit, learn and be curious and, and look up and around and, and see what's going on in your life and in your, you know, in your, your learning and the knowledge that you have. Because, you know, ha- having knowledge enables you to put things together in different ways and come up with great ideas. So I think yeah. that kind of that growth mindset and, and learning, if, you know, the learning, an organisation that has a, a really good culture of learning probably won't suffer from quite quitting as as much as one. I absolutely 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, it goes back to that whole organisational culture. You get that culture right. You create an environment where everyone is is hungry to learn and is constantly curious. That's a phrase I often use. You know, I, I describe myself as constantly curious. My wife gets fed up when I'm watching a movie and I'm constantly Googling to find out who does what, what characters what, and, you know, this actor, what do they do? <laughs> I'm constantly checking things. Um, and I think there's something about that. But there's something that you said within all of that about looking up. Um, and I think, you know, we can use that as a metaphor, but we can use it in its literal context as well. You know, literally, people are looking down nowadays an awful lot, whether we're looking down at our phones, looking down at our computers. Uh, but metaphorically, we're looking down as well. We're looking down into the detail. We get sucked up into the detail of life. But when you look up, that's when you see your environment. That's when you see your horizon. And that's when you can start seeing what, how the environment is shaping up or what changes that might be coming along the way. Uh, and that's when you can you know, be innovative and creative and adaptive and, you know, agile and all of these things, all these phrases that have become so popular over the last few years since the pandemic experience. But it's so true, isn't it? Oh, it is absolutely true. I mean, it. it I think looking up, it, it's also about imagination. It's about getting inspiration. It's um, It's something that just brings energy into your life. And you know, one thing that you do find out a good organizational culture will put energy into the business and it'll enable the business to be energized in a way that, you know, that helps with quiet quitting. Uh, it helps with learning. It helps with people making choices back to that choices. You can choose to do something or you can choose to learn. You can choose to look down or you can choose to look up. The, yeah, the, the, the choices you make in life are, are a- absolutely critical 
And the more knowledge and information you have, usually the better the choices you make. So why would you not be curious? Why would you not gather in more information and, you know, prioritize learning as something that you do every day. I mean, I'm at the moment, I'm on secondment to another part of the business, uh, repairs and maintenance uh, right. business, which uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if there'll be people watching it from that organisation, but I know nothing, nothing about repairs and maintenance in the social housing sector. Uh, but my word, am I learning so much. I've enjoyed the last two months more than a long, a long time. I won't put a time scale yeah. on it, but it, it just it and it, all, it brings you huge amounts of energy. Just that energy of, of of learning, it just it starts to bubble out of you. And of course, the enthusiasm it brings brings people along with you as well. But I think there's also something about you know the higher up you go as a leader, the less technical knowledge you need to have, but the greater your ability to inspire and and, and infuse other people or to steer people in a certain direction it's that ability to influence i think becomes much more important and as a consequence our ability to build relationships and trust becomes so much more important and i think that's our skill set you know when you get to a certain leadership level and beyond it's no longer about you know do i need to know about social housing or do i need to know about um you know fixing things no i don't because i've got experts within my team who do that. That's who, and I need to treat them as experts. They are leaders within their own right because they're experts and my go-to people. But my responsibility is a different responsibility. It's about steering them. And so for me to do that and for them to do a good job and not quietly quit is I need to inspire them. I need to motivate them. I need to have a, a, a great environment around them, you know, that, that is, that is exciting. It, it's, uh, it's, it's feeding their curiosity and this, their, their, their desire to grow potentially, you know? Uh, so it's all of those things, isn't it? It is. It's also very important as a leader, especially when things start to go wrong is not to step continually down into the weeds because yes that you know back to trust you've got to trust that the people are there that are doing the right thing but also every time you go down you disempower people and you're basic you're giving them that kind of there are the parent child model your, your dad coming down to tell the kids what to do and we want to employ adults Charles, I've got I've got perfect examples for what you're talking about right now. I think it's so so important for any senior leader to listen to this. Uh, I think you know I always say you know it's easy being a leader when when the water is smooth. It's but when the storms start coming in and you have to steer your ship, you have to be the person who is steering the ship, not the person who is uh, manning the oars type of thing. You know, um, I, I um, did a lot of. Uh, leadership around crisis management when I was a senior police officer. So I've, you know, I've commanded right at the highest level at goal level, uh, some of the most uh, scary situations you can imagine. But I was always aware of exactly what you're talking about. I have experts doing the doing. I need to trust them to do what they do best. They do it better than I. My responsibility here is to keep a cool head and to make sure that we have a, a, a strategy in place and that we're following that strategy. I have to set the strategy and then I have to do everything I can so that everybody A, understands the strategy and B, works to the strategy with uh, the same desired outcome 
uh, for everybody across the organization. They need to understand it and be motivated to towards that. I um, did some um, consultancy work with one particular organization and um, I did something like 29 focus groups, uh, 30 odd interviews or one-to-one interviews. And they had a huge uh, turnover in the organization, lots and lots of quiet quitting. You know, it was abundant. It was rife across the organization. Um, high levels of grievances. So all the symptoms, all, all the metrics, if you like, were not very healthy at all. But the one thing that the, the people were saying across the whole of the organization is that the executive team, the highest team within the organization uh, for the last couple of years had been micromanaging the junior leaders. Uh, and it was a healthcare organization. And they said, you know, obviously, perhaps we needed it when we were right at the early end, early stages of the pandemic. But it's maintained that, you know, they're still doing it two years later. They're still micromanaging. And as a manager, as a middle leader, I don't feel that I'm trusted to be able to do the job that I'm trained to do that I've been doing for X amount of years. Uh, so consequently, people giving up. And that's what you're talking about with quiet quitting. People are literally giving up and saying, I'm just turning into work. I'm turning up and I'm doing what I need to do. And then I'm going home. Uh, but imagine the loss to that organization of the, the huge potential of those people. Had they, had they been inspired and had been allowed to use their professional judgment, their experience and had some trust faith, uh, placed in them, you know? That's sort of what you're referring to, isn't it? It is. It, it, it's a very, very fine line because, you know, especially if you have a lot of answers or, you know, ask somebody, ask me, I'll come up with 10 ideas, just mm. like that. Um, but it, 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 it's putting the ownership of the solution with the person that has the knowledge and the, you know, the detail that as a board director you don't have. You know, your role is at the top of all the organisation is to provide a strategy that people can want to buy into and feel enthusiastic yes. about, that understand the journey. And then when things go off being, they, they need to trust the leaders that they've got a good plan to make it come right and then they can play their part. You know, you do have to go down because there's a coaching as well, you know, that you don't want to see people flounder when you think, well, there's a lot I can do to help them and how yeah. I... Yeah, you know, it's back to give person a, a rod or give them a fish, isn't it? it? It's you know doing the right interaction at the right time to make sure that problems are solved to the benefit of the organisation, but also the person that actually is there at the coalface feels supported and trust that the leaders are there to to give them the direction that they need and you know the resources as, as well. There's nothing yes, worse than absolutely. having a big problem and not having the resources to deal with it because the hierarchy doesn't understand what the issues are because they don't know the detail. They know the strategy, which is what they're supposed to do. So it's a, a never-ending, well, what is it? A never-ending communication, if you know. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that would sum it up really nicely, that it's a never-ending communication. And, and, and it is this clear understanding for every leader and every individual actually in the organization to understand that communication is so critical and the quality of our communication is 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 unbelievably important in in the organization because if you get your communication right not only does everybody understand what the common goal the common vision is what the strategic priorities that we're all working towards but they also 
it also helps to build relationships and build that trust and build that vulnerability that I think is so important to get those human relationships going really, really well. And it's going back to something else that you would say, you know, it's not about having the conversations about, hey, uh, have you performed this task? Have we reached this milestone? And how's that project going, etc. It's about having the human conversations. That's where the depth is. And that's where I think we can move people beyond the quiet quitting uh, and beyond the concept of surviving to thriving. Charles, I want to say thank you so much for your wisdom. I really, really enjoyed our conversation and uh, hopefully our listeners get a lot from this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.